0: All right, good morning. How are we doing today? Uh, You know what? It is a good morning for multiple reasons. Sunshine outside, extra hour of sleep, and the Calgary flames just keep on coming back in third periods. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. (laughs) But I'm excited that you've decided to spend the morning with us. Thank you for being here. Uh, There is so much that we have to be thankful for and One of them is that October is done, November is here, and Christmas is a week closer. And so maybe you're uh, not as excited about it as I am, but if you are one of us, in the sense that you're okay with a little bit of uh, Christmas music at this time of year, you are so welcome here. (laughs) No, everybody's welcome. Just those who listen to Christmas music at this time of year are more welcome. But thank you for being here. If you're new, I hope that you've been met by a warm smile, uh, a welcoming hand at some point this morning. uh, Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, skeptic, unsure of where you stand or what you believe, you are welcome here. Uh, And we're just excited that you're here with us this morning. Uh, an extra hour of sleep means that we're more engaged and we're more excited. I feel like I've got a little more energy. The sunshine helps as well. And so I'm going to do my best not to kick this table full of candles. And you might be wondering, why is this table here? Well, it's not just for show. Uh, I've said this multiple times at this point, but this is my kitchen table. And it is re- replaced currently by a folding table in my house. And we are just about to move houses right now. And we're f- therefore showing the place that we're in. And so people are going to wonder, why do they just have a folding table in their home. I was thinking about this last night. It's funny. Anyways, uh, we're going through a series right now called Table Talks and we're in week five of it. And the idea around Table Talks is not just a catchy phrase, but it's born out of who we are and who we have been up to this point as a community. Like the video showed, our conversations initially were very much around the idea of where can we gather, what does the dinner table look like? And we saw people gather around that dinner table and something really beautiful come out of it along the way. And so in the Gospel of Luke, there's, there's an individual by the name of Robert Karras, and he s- makes a statement That It seems like in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is always going to a meal He's either at a meal or he's coming from a meal and we can all resonate with that We've always got food on our minds Whether or not we're planning our day around when we're having dinner or when we're having lunch or what we're having for lunch Or what we're having for dinner We can understand what it means to plan your day around a meal and in the Gospel of Luke There's nine instances specifically where Jesus is gathering around a table around food with friends and he shares something profound in those moments not only about who he is, but about who we are and what that means in our here and now. So we've spent four weeks up to this point, and last week we were talking about Zacchaeus and the invitation that he received from Jesus to, well, Jesus said that he was coming to his house, and at Zacchaeus' house, there was salvation that came there that day, and there was this beautiful moment of confession. But today, today is Communion Sunday for us, and it just happened to line up really beautifully with the next passage that we're going to be interacting with, and it is in Luke chapter 22. So uh, we're going to read it together, Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 14, and it is the Last Supper narrative. It's the Last Supper discourse, and it's the final time that Jesus spends with his disciples before going to the cross. And so if you'd read with me, Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 27, and it says this. It says, When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And Jesus said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And Jesus took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. The disciples began to question one another. Which of them could it be who was going to do this? And then the situation kind of turns, and it says a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, who, 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 one who reclines at table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who recl- reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everybody that's here and for the gathering that we're invited into. Thank you for the invitation that you give us in the scriptures and the the revelation of not only who you are, but who you're calling us to be in our everyday stories. I pray that our hearts are open and ready to receive something fresh this morning, that it would not just be words, but it would be something that would convict us, it would challenge us, it would transform us, that we would not leave this place the same. We do not want this to be a ritual that we just engage with, a checkbox that we just check every single week But Jesus, when we come before you, I pray that we have our hearts ready and open to receive something new. That you would change us for the better. Thank you for all that you are doing in this place and more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Question for you this morning is, uh, do you ever respond poorly in a situation and you kind of wish you could take it back? perhaps it's in a, a conversation. Maybe it's something that you say, and you're like, oh, I kind of wish I could take that back. Or maybe it's something that you do, and you realize that was maybe not the best decision in that moment. Maybe it's just me, but I seem to do this more often than I would like. I seem to fall into this habit that I have good intentions, but then doesn't often go this way. Often, it's often associated with I'm either I'm tired, uh, my mood isn't right, and then somebody says something that just gets me the right way. And then I don't desire to be cruel or to to say it in a poor way, but it just comes out that way. And there's different situations in life that we come up against them, and we don't often respond in the way that we would perhaps instruct other people to. Isn't that always the case? That when someone asks us for advice, we've got the greatest advice in the world. We know exactly what you should do in this situation, but when it comes to our own set of circumstances, it does not always go the way that we would have advised ourselves. So there's this one moment, so the first year that I ever played basketball, I was 10 years old, great year of basketball, we had a great team, we had a great coach, and it was uh, a blast the entire year. I was learning everything from scratch, basically. And our team did really well. We were an athletic group of kids, and we won our division. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And, and we, we won that, that year, and we won the next year. And we're like, dynasty. We're going to pull this together. We are going to stay together forever. Well, we were a bunch of 10 and 11-year-olds, so we didn't stay together forever. And so uh, the next year, we had to split up and go into different age groups and different divisions. Some were older. Some were younger. And uh, tryouts were happening. On a Saturday, and I was so pumped for him because finally that year I was able to get two of my buddies, two of friends of mine, to come and try out with me. And we were ready to tear it up. We were going to be the three musketeers, we were going to be the group that was gonna dominate on the floor together, that was gonna go grab Slurpees after, that was gonna do life together, and we were pumped about it. Saturday rolls around. I wake up in the morning, and I am sick like a dog. I should not be getting out of bed, but I'm like, I have to be at the tryout. I have to be at the tryout. Mom knows better, says, no, that's not going to be a good decision. You will likely throw up within 20 minutes. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so uh, I, I missed the first tryout, and my two buddies, they went to the tryout, and I showed up the next day for the second half of it. And I could tell immediately like decisions had already been made. And I was devastated, angry, upset. And so I I worked my tail off that day, had a a good trial. But they'd already kind of separated who was going to go into what division, who's going to go in the higher division, who's going to go in the lower division. And my two buddies, they ended up in the higher one. And I got my name called to the lower and I was livid. I was so upset. So upset to the point that the the practice ended. I storm out of the the gym. I, I go to the car. Mom asks, how does it go? I don't even respond. I whip open the door and I vomit out the side of the car. I was so like physically upset about this circumstance. And it did not end in that moment. No, 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 no. I could hold a grudge. So I was uh, a part of this team, and like, in my mind, I, was like, I am the best player on this team by a mile. And I'm going to make sure like, I get all the points, all the playing time. Like, I-, I had a bad attitude about the whole situation. And the more and more I did it, the, the-, the-, the less and less I became... Uh, became like a part of the team. We weren't successful as a team. I had an awful time all year. I had an awful relationship with the coach and it just was like one of those like forgetful seasons of basketball. And it's too bad because every time I saw my buddies, I would compare with them on how the season was going and I would always find some way in which how I was doing better than them. They won the the division championship that year, and I had no ability to celebrate them, to look at them and be excited for them, because I was so consumed, so self-obsessed with the idea of I have been wronged. I don't deserve what has happened to me. And it's funny, I, I'm, I don't want to mark competition as a negative thing, because I would say competition is actually a, gr- a great thing. I think c- competition is one of the things that actually pushes us to be better, and if it's done properly, if it has the right foundation, the right mindset, it could be something that pushes us forward. But when competition becomes less about performance and more about purpose, then found it, our foundation is comparison. And then we have a problem. And, and we know better. You know what I mean? We know better than to do this, to set comparison as our foundation, but yet we get on this emotional roller coaster of comparison every single time we feel a little bit wronged. But isn't it interesting? This is the final discourse that Jesus has with his disciples before going to the cross. This is the final time that he's able to actually speak with a group of them, and he's sharing these beautiful moments of, of the representation of what the sacrifice was going to be that he was going to take within less than 24 hours. He was speaking prophetically. He was speaking about the kingdom of God, and it's this beautiful discourse, and it is interrupted by this dispute also that happens to take place, and it's this dispute of comparison. In the final moment that Jesus has with with his disciples, it is interrupted by comparison. And this struck me as I was reading this passage because it's kind of going from communion to comparison. And this is what we do because Jesus speaks right into this. Jesus consistently goes up against the cycle of comparison but we have this this proclivity this propensity this ten- tendency to look to our right and to our left and to make comparisons and to consider where our self-worth is based upon how people are doing beside us how whether or not we're successful whether or not we're smart whether whether or not we are wealthy whether or not we find uh, ourselves to be a good parent or a good brother or a good mother or a good father whatever it is we base it upon other people around us and we do this over and over and over again and we put our unfiltered unedited idea of self-worth up against the edited idea of perfection which is in our world today and we consistently fall short sociologist named Dale Partridge he says this he says we're at a point where our mobile phones have become mirrors whereby it tells us the reflection of what we are worth against other people. He says that we echo the words of the queen from Snow White. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Mirror, mirror on Facebook, tell me how my life should look. Mirror, mirror on Instagram, tell me who I really am. We do it. And we set this bar that is unfair. So this is the question I I want you to interact with, and I want you to think with this morning. Who am I comparing myself against, and what am I measuring myself up against? Is it a talented work colleague? Is it a neighbor? Is, Is it a childhood friend? Is it somebody that you saw recently that you suddenly realize, man, they are way more successful than me? Is it someone that you have never met before, but yet you see all of their highlight reel on social media and you're like, I need to be that? Who are we measuring ourselves up against? Paul in 2 Corinthians 10-12, he says that comparison is the lack of wisdom. It's antithetical to wisdom. Yet we've consistently fallen into this, this rhythm of comparison in our lives. So let's let's backtrack and let's go back to our, our, our scripture. Um, so Luke tells us of this dispute in the upper room. And with Jesus so close to the cross, it's fascinating to me that his most intimate followers are, they seem so far from him in spirit. And Jesus and his disciples, they're reclining at the table. And Jesus actually says how much he was looking forward to the idea of being there with them. And he, and he breaks bread. And being the host, he kind of breaks the normal traditional uh, cycle of things to engage with them. And he breaks the bread. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. This is my blood spilled for you. Take this in remembrance of me. me says do this in remembrance of me and it's this beautiful moment where he is saying this is the sacrifice I'm about to engage with this is this the journey I'm about to step into this is less than 24 hours before he would actually die on the cross that he makes these statements he actually has these moments this is a rapid 24 hours that's about to take place but Jesus wants to pause and he wants to gather around this table with these men that have been with him for three and a half years. Brothers, family. And then he makes the statements that one of you at this table is going to betray me. And isn't it the case that whenever we feel like we're getting defensive, our default deficiencies rise to the surface? Because immediately they start like, questioning one another. Would you do it? Would you do it? Would you do it? I wouldn't do it because I'm the greatest i would never betray jesus because i deserve to be seated right beside him because in in the jewish realm whenever they would sit at a feast think of it as like a box with the end missing and so jesus would have been at the center and then the hierarchy of who of an importance at the jewish table at a festival or at, at passover would have been the most important person on the right then the left And then staggered, so on and so on and so on and so on. And they had decided, Jesus has just revealed to them, I am about to die. One of you are about to betray me. And the only thing that they could think about was, why am I not seated at the right hand of Jesus? They had missed the whole point of that whole dinner. And this is not the first time that Jesus has had to deal with uh, comparison amongst the disciples. There's there's multiple narratives where you, you see them start to argue about who was the greatest, who was supposed to sit where. It's kinda like a child that when you're having this conversation with them and you, you like see their big, beautiful eyes, and you're trying to tell them not to do something, and you just see them nodding, and you're like, they are not registering anything that is being said in this moment. And they're just nodding, and you're like, they're not going to remember anything within 10 seconds. And then it's not there. It's gone. It's gone. It's as if, it's as if nothing was even said in that moment. And it's kind of like Jesus' interaction with the disciples. He feels like he's saying it over and over and over again, and he's communicating this wisdom. But yet they consistently have this propensity to fall into comparison with one another. And they do it over and over and over again, but we do it over and over again. We make our foundation comparison in how we live our life. Do you mark your success by the person beside you? I know I'm guilty of it. That I think I'm successful because I'm more successful than the person on my right. I'm happy because I'm happier than the person on my left. But this is not a stable foundation on which we can live our lives. And this is not the invitation that Jesus gives at the dinner table. There's something so much more beautiful that he desires for us. Have you ever noticed in life that we, that we struggle with things that we thought we should be over by now? Like we, we're, we're aware of them. We know what our issues are. And we're, we're saying, yeah, I'm going to deal with that Tomorrow. I know what I need to do. I know who I need to talk to. But yet it seems to consistently rear its ugly head. And so Jesus is at this table. And and they're having this beautiful moment together. And it rears its ugly head one more time. And comparison comes to the forefront. But it's fascinating to me because this is a beautiful moment that they're sharing with Jesus. But yet it's ruined by comparison. And this is what I've discovered is that the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Because comparison either makes you feel superior or inferior. And neither honors God. It makes you feel better than or less than. And neither one of those results honor God. Because this is what comparison never does. It never makes you and I feel satisfied. It never makes you feel content. It simply drives a wedge in your soul between God's intended state of your life and your current one. Could I, could I get a volunteer to come up on stage just real quick? I promise it's nothing embarrassing for you. All you need to do is know how to stack blocks. Anybody. I know. Everybody at once. Everyone's like, do not call me on this. Do not. Just somebody. Somebody. Brandon, Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, Brandon, what I need from you. Uh, These are my Jenga blocks. Uh, Not nearly enough of them, but they'll serve the purpose. Could you just build like a Jenga tower? Okay. so while he's doing that, uh, board games are a part of our household and it's been part of our community up to this point. not just like Settlers of Catan, and not just Dutch Blitz, nothing against those games, but we, we, we play a little bit better games sometimes, not to, nothing against those games. I guess I just went against those games, that's okay. And we played this one game called Small World. And uh, we played it at uh, a, a, ca- a, a friend of ours, their cabin, uh, one summer. And it happened to be that uh, Derek was there, and he doesn't really like board games like we like board games. Uh, but he decided he would contribute to Small World, and he would join in. But he did something really interesting. He, he stopped playing the game to win the game. Uh, the sole purpose of Derek's game was to screw up everyone else. And we were kind of, like, shocked by it. And we coined it the Cooper Maneuver. Because he completely just like destroyed the premise of the game and it added a new component, but we were fascinated by it and it was it was interesting that when the the goal was not to actually discover success, but it was actually to just like deal with others That he didn't find success in the game. (laughs) And it's kind of what comparison does as well, because there's three things in this moment that comparison in this narrative kind of comes to life. Number one, comparison, it eliminates stability. So in our, in our that's not Django, my friend. <laughs> the- twos, can you do twos? Yeah. Yes, uh, and then spread them out. Yeah. yeah, 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 there we go. There we go, beautiful, 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 wow. Wow, yeah, that's the one. Pick the right person. (laughs) Uh, It's funny, I think comparison eliminates stability in our life, because comparison, it destabilizes our self-worth, because when we're in our everyday situations, we build up our self-worth, not in just one-off moments, but in moments one after another. We have moments that we share with individuals, or Introspective considerations on our own where we start to discover that we have worth and value in this world And we start to build up our our Jenga tower But this is what comparison does comparison does not take worth off the top It does not somehow destroy This piece of worth that we have on the top of our Jenga tower. Comparison is not concerned about winning. Comparison is concerned about causing problems in your life. And what comparison does is it tries to take the foundation and it causes instability. And that which was foundational to who we were or who we are suddenly gets replaced with comparison. And then, it's not, like I said, comparison's not worried about winning this game. Comparison just simply wants to cause chaos in your situation. It's not worried about actually seeing your life go well or seeing you find success. Comparison just wants to see you be successful in relation to others, but that's not sustainable. So you keep on pulling pieces, and you, they, they fall, and they, they fall over, and pretty soon you're left with Just pieces of comparison that just linger in our stories. And then we try and build it up again, but now it's comparison is our building blocks and it's not sustainable. Comparison eliminates stability. Thank you, Brendan. Let's give him a hand. Uh, Number two, comparison, it exposes our selfishness. Because, like I said, in this moment, Jesus is sharing so brutally honest that he's about to take the trip to the cross, that he's about to be betrayed, and all they could think about was, where do I get a seat at the table? It exposes our selfishness. And then the third thing I see at this table in this moment is comparison. It ends our contentment. This This is the person that they've spent with, for the last three years, all of their time, all of their energy. They've seen Jesus accomplish incredible miracles, and yet they cannot find enough contentment in this moment to actually enjoy the meal with Jesus. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. And, and I can say this because I've struggled, and I, I'll be honest, I think I still con- I continue to struggle with comparison. And I remember the moments. Or I I should say, I actually remember him in the moment. Because it's always tied to a person, isn't it? I remember uh, I was leading our our youth group in Calgary, and it was great. And I was speaking on a lot of Fridays, and there was uh, now a a friend of mine that started to come out, and he was so faithful in serving. He would show up every week, and he would just want to be in the background. But you could sense there was something really special about this individual. And every week he would serve, he would serve, he would serve, but you could tell he, was, he had this ability to communicate. He was a great orator. He had, he had this amazing gift. And so we gave him an opportunity, and he got on the platform, and he crushed it. And I remember me sitting there and just, like, feeling like I was shrinking. This young man who had his life changed by Jesus had a dramatic experience that transformed his walk had his life changed by Jesus, is now being used so beautifully. I have seen his story. I've seen his journey. And yet, in his moment of success, I was not able to celebrate him. And I faked it. Don't get me wrong. I'm really good at faking when I'm happy for people. And he gets off the stage, and I give him a good pep talk, and it's good but I I remember how devastated I was on the inside as if my calling or my talents were somehow inadequate because of his. And I was no longer content with my position, with my opportunity. And then we do weird things when we feel discontent. We try and fabricate moments where somehow we get adulation. We fabricate moments where somehow people, they look at us in a good way. Or we try and take credit for things that we maybe only did a bit of instead of actually being humble about it. We're like, look at me. And it happened over time. And you know what? He got better. And he's this incredible communicator now. And and we're we're close friends, but we had to have a really honest conversation. We're like, and and it turned out, funny enough, I was suffering from comparison, but so was he. Because this is what comparison does. Comparison does the opposite of communion. Communion welcomes us around the table. It draws us together. Comparison isolates us and keeps us separate and away from actually doing what God calls us to do, and that's to do life together. And we had to have this honest conversation where we just kind of put it all on the table and we said, Hey, this is what I feel when you're preaching. This is what I feel when you're leading. This is what I feel when you're talking. I feel inadequate. I feel like I fall short. And then we got to cry together and it was really beautiful. And now he's one of my closest friends on the other side of the world. He's at Oxford now. And then he went to Oxford and in his first year there, he's a part of like the apologetics program over there. And in his first year he won the award for like the best communicator on the campus. And I was like, haha, I was validated and feeling inadequate. <laughs> But like this incredible communicator that I was unable to celebrate or unable to learn from or unable to grow with or unable to do life with because I was so focused on me. But what had happened is that I was then formulating my messages, trying to build my messages to be funny like him, to say the the cool words like him, to have a phrase like he would have. And then suddenly I lost track of my purpose and my mission and my calling or the talent that was upon my life because I was so focused on his. And when they're gathered around this table, every seat at this table has a purpose, has a meaning, has a potential. And they were unable to see it because all they knew is that they needed to be higher than the person beside them. And it robbed them from actually seeing the greatest beauty. And is it, that that it was that that they were at the table with Jesus. And that was all that mattered. That they were so valued and so gifted in this moment to sit at the table with Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this in his Screwtape Letters. He says, Christians can be so ignorant as to what the devil is doing by making us compare ourselves one to another. In hell, they are raising a toast saying, we fooled the Christians again. And Jesus immediately, he goes to the heart of the issue as they begin to compare one another because he. Recognizes that their comparison is born out of their desire for greatness, but you can't become great if you don't understand what it means to be great. And so Jesus paints this story of how the world designs greatness, how it gives title and title for the purpose of of getting respect or adulation from other people. That you wanted to be the benefactor is the word that he used. But unlike the kings of this world, Jesus operates differently and he does not come to get title or authority or station to simply dictate your life or simply to have you honor him or simply to have you do it the way that he wants you to do it but because he loves you and the foundation of love is so dramatically different than the foundation of comparison because love looks out while comparison looks in love builds us up while building other people around us, while comparison just destroys our life. It destroys our relationships, our friendships, our families, our workplaces. Nothing beautiful is born out of comparison. And Jesus is saying, you don't need to be better than or greater than or the greatest at the table to receive me, to receive grace, to receive this love just take the seat that i offer you and jesus diz, did only, only as jesus can and he gives the answer to this situation before the situation even arises shows the bread and he shows the wine and then he gives the secrets It's a counter comparison. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Think upon me. Hebrews says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's lay aside every comparison and sin let's, or pride which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Don't look to the person on your right or put the person on your left, but look to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Because when you remember me, this is not just about taking the bread and taking the wine and doing it out of ritual need. But this is about remembering the life that he lives, the promises that he gives, and the station that he has above all things. That when we look to him, he provides all that we need and more. And he focuses us on the things that actually matter in life because he flips the idea of greatness on its head in this narrative. While the world looks as greatness, as station, as having the seat beside Jesus, the seat to the right, Jesus said, don't even bother sitting at the table. Serve at the table. It's not about where you sit. It's about actually serving. It's about living a life that is outside of your comfort zone. It's not comparing to the person to your right or to your left, but it's looking at Jesus and saying, that is the life that I want to honor. That is the life that I want to pursue. That is the heart that I want to have for the people around me every single day. And when we have that in our story, that changes everything. It transforms our perspective. Because comparison will cons- consistently Try to interrupt communion. The coming together of our hearts with God's and our hearts with one another. That's the beauty of communion, and that's the danger of comparison, the curse of comparison, that it isolates us. And comparison does so many other things, but this is, in this story, what Is so relevant to me. Communion, it counters the curse of comparison, it challenges the focus of our reactions. Comparison divides while communion is meant to unite. Comparison creates anxiety while communion leads us to rest. Comparison destroys relationships while communion creates them. Comparison isolates while communion welcomes. God wants you to be great. He wants you to be great. But great as he defines it as one who serves, not one who sits. So he will place opportunities in your life to be great, to serve, to love, to sacrifice. And the question we are left with is will we be so caught up in comparison that we will miss our moment of communion? That first season, it it robbed me of my opportunity for communion because I was just so wrapped up in my own thoughts and I was so self-obsessed. And we didn't have any success as a team. But this is this is what's really beautiful about communion. Communion is this physical representation of the greatest commandments. Love God, love people. Because you can only do those things when we come into union. You can't love people at a distance. You can bear people at a distance. You can judge people at a distance. You can endure people at a distance. Hey, you can cheer on people at a distance. But to love someone requires true communion, true intimacy, true relationship. And Jesus doesn't just tell us to do this, but he models it. And he invites us into it. And he didn't just stay in heaven and say, hey, you can deal with it. You can deal with your situation I love you, we're good, but love brought him to us. To pay the ultimate sacrifice so that you and I could have an opportunity to have real relationship. Not only with one another, but with a heavenly father that so desires to know you, to see you, to walk with you, to journey with you, and to love you. And he knows you so well. And he wants you to know him. Would you close your eyes with me? Would you bow your heads so we can end in a word of prayer? This morning as as we we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna share in communion together. But Matthew twenty eight twenty says that I am with you always. Jesus is with us always. There's an intimacy. There's communion with us. What a beautiful gift we've been given. So Jesus, right now, I just pray for every heart in here. For those who are searching for a place where they belong, I pray that they find a reprieve, an oasis in your house with your people. For those who are on a journey of faith that are trying to discover who you are Jesus, right here right now, I pray that you are made so real to them, that there's a stirring inside their hearts to know you to know more, to know you, that this idea of love given unconditionally is so foreign to us, but it is so real when we look to you. I pray for every person that's here this morning, that we take our issues of comparison those people that come to our minds when we, when we think about who we're comparing ourselves to, I just pray that we just release ourselves from the bondage. That we, just, we give that to you. And we say, Jesus, take it. I, I don't want to be comparing myself to them. I want to come into union with you. I want to know you. I want to see what my life looks like when I fix my eyes on you and I run the race that's before me. So for every person that's here that's feeling a stirring in their heart, Jesus, I pray that you meet them in the here and now. That they experience you in the here and now. That there's something fresh that just wells up on the inside of every single one of us. That does not leave us as we are, but forever changed. Challenged to not simply look at the world around us as our baseline, but to look to you as our foundation. So we give you all the glory and the praise. Thank you for this moment and this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.